was the last time either of them would be on the podium. Ayrton ran out of luck. There is a lot to go, a lot to learn, a lot to do. But I have plenty of time. Pure driving. Real racing. That makes me happy. Hello and welcome to a very special edition of Gareth Jones on Speed, if you like Gareth Jones on Senna. If you're a motor racing fan, and I rather suspect if you're listening to this podcast, you probably are, you'll be aware that there is a new movie out, a documentary about Brazilian racing driver, three times world champion, Ayrton Senna. It's on general release from June the 3rd. I was lucky enough to go and see a preview of this film a couple of weeks ago with the man who's standing next to me now, Zog. Zog, we really enjoyed this film, didn't we? We did, yeah. It lived up to our expectations, which were fairly high, given that there's been a lot of talk about this film. Um, it won an award, didn't uh, it? Yeah, it won an award at the Sundance Film Festival, which is the uh, independent film festival founded by Robert Redford. In the States. Yeah, so it comes with a good buzz, if you like. Uh, those that don't know anything about it, it's a feature documentary about Senna, made rather in the style of something like For All Mankind, in that it's all period footage, mostly television footage, for the picture, and the soundtrack is entirely recollections of people who were involved at the time, people he knew and uh, people that were involved in the story. I think we should say... No more at this stage other than play you a clip. This is the trailer for the movie. Oh my goodness, this is fantastic! I think we are watching the arrival of Ayrton Senna, a truly staggering talent. He'll be ranked among the all time greats. How do you feel about being world champion? It's not a bad feeling at all, is it? I was treated like a criminal. Best decision is my decision. I can't stand this. Walking away from the dark forces just doesn't become an option. I was not going to give up. So have any of your girlfriends ever asked you to go faster? Yeah. <laughs> there was an energy, a force, a spirit. It was electrifying. In that trailer there, I think you get an idea of the kind of atmosphere that this movie generates. You know, the soundtrack of Murray Walker... James Hunt, Jackie Stewart, Ron Dennis. These are all people who were intimately involved with Formula One at the time and knew Senna. To hear them speaking about him intelligently and honestly and also excitedly, because I think that that's the thing, that Senna generated excitement simply on his debut. Was it the Tolman? Tolman, yeah, yeah, that he first appeared in. You know, he made that car go far quicker than it really should have done. And I think it started there, that level of excitement. And there's still a level of excitement, a level of mystery about Senna, 
even today, you know. He, I don't know if we beatified him since his death, but he has this sort of otherworldly quality people talk about. Well, it is because of the tragedy of his death and how that happened and how young he was at the time. And inevitably, great stars who die young, whether it's Senna or whether it's... Ian Curtis. Jimi Hendrix, whoever, you know, ensures that that star burns brightly in the the sky for for a very long time. So Senna does have his extraordinary reputation and he has a particular place in F1 mythology. This is a film about Senna the man. It does tell you a lot about how he came to be such a great star and why he meant so much to the people of Brazil, why he became such an icon for them, as well as such a hero to motor racing fans around the world. The other thing, though, about this is that, you know, as we're talking about this, it might sound like it's a film that is for F1 nuts, petrol heads, and not really anyone else. And it's absolutely not that. I mm. mean, it's a film that, as we know, because we spoke to a few people after seeing the preview that we saw, a couple of whom were not F1 fans at all. Specifically, there was that one woman who we said to her, you know, did you know about F1 before? No, 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 no. What do you think of the movie? Oh, fantastic. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, absolutely. It, it's such a dramatic story arc. It's a very moving story arc. It is the classic... It's a simple story, but it's very well told. You know, yeah. They've got great material, and it's done with great skill at the same time that it's a very simple story and a simple format. It's not overcomplicated, but it's just done beautifully. And the central character, as you see in this film, is a very charismatic, mm. very thoughtful Man, seems to have a tenderness about him. I have to admit, I put my hands up. I think I've said this on the program before. I wasn't a Senna fan. I was a Prost fan. Certainly, I appreciate Senna's unbelievable ability to make a car go quicker than it should, and the fact that he became an icon outside of Formula One. It was a bit like Ali in that respect. I think it's the nearest thing motorsport has ever produced to someone like Muhammad Ali, who becomes famous outside of his sport. People who didn't follow Formula One would know who Ayrton Senna was. That shows an unbelievable achievement. He has this tenderness. It's an interesting combo because in the interviews, and there are plenty of wonderful unseen footage that I think Bernie Eccleston released to the makers of this film. Yes, they had access to a lot of footage that other people hadn't had access to. Mm. Yeah, they had some, as you say, through Bernie Eccleston. You get an idea of his sort of tenderness he speaks in very tender tones but in the blink of an eye he would then talk about well if i have to push someone off a corner to win a race i will do it there's a steely hardness that is almost akin to that sort of humane quality he has that's what makes him the enigma i think this duality yeah and that turns us i mean you see Without giving anything away or giving spoilers, as it were, you see in some shots and some scenes, you see his reactions to events, which are really very deeply felt, and yes, and rather at odds with the ruthlessness that he could display, that mm. he, uh, he was capable of. Talking about that ruthlessness, I think it's time for another clip from the film. And this is a moment in the movie where Ayrton is confronted by a three times world champion and gentleman racing driver and a campaigner for safety as well as a broadcaster. This is how Ayrton got on with Jackie Stewart. If I were to count back all the world champions, the number of times they had made contact with other drivers that you in the last 36 months or 48 months have been in contact with more other cars and drivers than they might have done in total. 
I find amazing for you to make such a question, Stuart, because you are very experienced mm, and you know nice. a lot about racing. And um, you should know that by being a racing driver, you are under risk all the time. And by being a racing driver means you are racing with other people. And if you no longer go for a gap that exists, you're no longer a racing driver because we are competing. We are competing to win. And, and the main motivation to all of us is to compete for a victory. It's not to come third, fourth, fifth, or sixth. But hasn't that always right? been the case? Well, I think, I think it's all irrelevant. All, all what you're saying, Jack, is really irrelevant. Because I'm a driver that won more races than anybody over the past three years. I'm a driver that has been on pole position more than anybody in history. Correct. And I'm a driver that won two titles in the past three years. And right. I don't think how, I cannot comprehend how you can try to turn things around to say that I'd be involved in more accidents than anybody because that is not true as well. There was quite a gulf between Jackie Stewart's approach to motor racing and Ayrton Senna's approach. They were of a different era. They were not a gulf apart, to be sure, but far enough apart, perhaps, in time. And, you know, Jackie Stewart is one of the few people, as an interviewer, who could confront Ayrton Senna with that idea. If you want to challenge Senna about his driving and whether he was too aggressive or not, you need to be somebody like Jackie Stewart to be able to put those questions with some authority. Yeah. And to really to be able to push him on a point because otherwise it's too easy for the guy to say well you're not a racing driver you don't know what it's like out there and you have to take that at face value if you don't really know what you're on about you talk about confrontation there's quite a lot of confrontation in the movie there is a sense of foreboding obviously and tension you see that relationship between Senna and Prost evolving before your very eyes the moments that they choose to illustrate that part of the dynamic it's wonderful it's a well chosen film as well there are some great shots the material was all shot what 30 years ago arguably 20 years ago you know 94 is the most recent stuff in the film and I know it's a short diversion but I went on an editing course recently and one of the things that the chap on the course said which is an age old rule in television is that the difference between the stuff we see on TV and the stuff that we shoot ourselves our home movies is that your home movies would be like the rushes all the material that you shot and you watch the whole thing television and, and movies are the very best moments choose those very best moments mm. and shots which i've seen before of the lotus jps in the rain senna's first win but there's a great reveal one shot one moment in that shot where there's the hubbub of the paddock and then everyone moves out of the way and there emerged senna in his car and that's like the first time you see him and it almost takes your breath away that allied with the music sometimes celebratory in a sort of a samba way it's sometimes quite somber you know there's strings there it does create an atmosphere and I like the movie for the soundtrack as well, well. It, interesting you say that yes it was absolutely a good soundtrack I agree I hardly noticed it at all during the film mm. which is as it should be mm. really as a rule you shouldn't really notice the music. Mm. Uh, but looking on the credits as they were rolling, it was interesting to see that actually a few bits of the soundtrack had been recycled, if you like, from other films. The, the soundtrack was, all, was by a Brazilian composer called Antonio Pinto, who'd done music for Collateral, amongst other films, City of God, I think. And he'd reused a couple of tracks as well as writing new music for this. So, yes, very good soundtrack. Just to get back to one thing, you mentioned Muhammad Ali as one of those other sports stars who breaks out from their sport and becomes an international superstar. 
There's another interesting comparison in this, in that I think this is of the handful of really good sports documentaries I can remember seeing. This is up there with Hoop Dreams and When We Were Kings, the mm-hmm. documentary about the rumble in the jungle. Mm-hmm. I've only seen one of those. Right. Well, whichever one it is that you haven't seen, do see, see the it. other one. Yeah, yeah. 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 <laughs> because this is absolutely a documentary that, having no knowledge of or interest in the sport could still make a hell of an impression on you. You know, It's a, a beautiful and fascinating film, even if you're coming to the subject with no knowledge. I don't think you can underplay the significance of Senna in the history of modern sport. His death ultimately led to a step up in the safety of Formula One, which allows moments like Nico Rosberg's crash at Monaco recently in final practice it allowed him to survive that. Every now and again, there's a ramp up in safety and the introduction of the side head restraints in Formula One has clearly saved lots of lives. That itself is a significant contribution by Senna in death. In life, he brought a ruthlessness to the sport which I'm not certain had existed there before. I'm sure there were ruthless drivers in the past but I doubt if any were as ruthless as Ayrton Senna himself and that kind of upped the game of the sport it made it a harder battle than ever. I mean when you've got Mm. someone a genius like Prost who struggled against Senna in some contexts, that's the measure of the man isn't it? Yeah, Absolutely yes that is absolutely a measure of his quality of his talent and of his character because as the film shows it wasn't just his ability if you like you know his mental toughness was Mm. part of it as well and speaking about Prost of course the relationship with Prost is central to the film and is a large part of it the film tells the story rather more from Senna's point of view it's a little bit more sympathetic perhaps to the Senna side of the argument if you like if you insist on Mm. making things a Prost versus Senna thing Mm. which is stupidly oversimplistic so Mm. but but if you want to go that way you you could say the film it does rather take Senna's side inevitably it is Senna's story but it's not unfair yeah I was um, about to to say exactly that it's it's a Prost yeah it's a Prost in its defence I would say that having watched this film I kind of expected to like Senna more than I had previously. Hmm. But I think they allow us to see the full spectrum of Senna's personality enough that it reinforced that belief that I always had about Senna that, no, I think maybe that was just a little too aggressive. And that the whole God thing winds me up as well. <laughs> it really well, does. <laughs> well, I mean, it's I mean, we're both uh, fairly confirmed atheists and, yep. and, and, and we don't really go for the whole... Beardy Sky Pilot thing, uh, and and Senna did go for the Beardy Sky Pilot thing in a very big way, very big and way, he yeah. you know attributed a lot of success to God, you know. And it's not the way I would see things, but still, you know, what a driver, what a f- driver. You know, what, <laughs> yeah, well, but yeah. It's also worth saying that, that from the point of view of the F1 fan, there's a lot of very interesting. There are a lot of maybe sort of quite small elements in the film as it goes along that are wonderful to see. Whether it's some of Ron Dennis's comments and recollections in particular, which I think to people that maybe see Dennis as a very cold, calculating and not very human person, I think would be quite surprising. Yeah. And I love the behind-the-scenes stuff in the driver's briefing. You've got this uh, You stole one of my favourite bits. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> Shall I describe the scene? Go on. There's an argument going on in the driver's briefing over safety on the circuit. And at one point, Senna stands up and 
makes a, I, I've never seen this stuff before. It's great that they almost had like a documentary camera shooting this at the time. Senna makes this a very elegant speech and then storms out, but not before Jean Balestre, was that his Jean name? Jean-Marie Balestre. Jean-Marie Balestre, French, French is better than mine, who was the president of FISA at the time, who predated the FIA. The way in which he managed those drivers was, it was like a dictator, wasn't it? And you see well, all this in the film. It, it, was like so a t- it, was a, it was like a teacher dealing with a room full of school children. <laughs> there, there, there's a bit where he addresses the drivers. Actually, this was a different briefing, but yeah. uh, addresses the driver at the start of the briefing and says something along the lines of, uh, okay, now this race, I want you to be a little bit more careful. Let's not have anything too reckless out there. All the young drivers out there, they really look up to you guys. I, I don't, don't know, know why. why. <laughs> if they knew what we knew. And <laughs> he's, you know, he's really rather talking down to them like a bunch of irresponsible kids. He's probably uh, right. Probably right. Yeah. No, but, but although Balestra does come out as rather one of the villains of the piece, if you like, which by all the accounts of, that I've read of the period is pretty fair. Yeah. Well, it was written, as I understand the screenplay for the film, was written by a chap called Manish Pandey, who is an F1 fan. He's steeped in the knowledge of it. And in fact, the producer, James Gay Reese, his father was an account executive for John Player Cigarettes and so had spent some right, time so got, there's a bit of shooting Senna yeah. in the past. Uh, so, you know, it's yeah. steeped in the history and the connections with the family. But listen, talking about connections with Senna, it's all very well as making judgments about a man who we've frankly never met or even see race live ourselves in person. So I thought it was only fair that for this programme I ought to interview a friend of mine who is someone I've worked with as well and not only worked with Senna in motorsport as a broadcaster and a journalist but it's also someone who very briefly raced against him. I'm talking about former McLaren Formula One driver John Watson. Well it's such a long time now I mean you have to go back to 1994 that was the last time I spoke to Ayrton and I can't even remember where it was, whether it was in, at Imola. Certainly would have seen him there as I was working as a broadcaster for Eurosport. Whether we spoke or not, I don't know. As someone who knew him, would you say that the documentary is a fair representation of the man you knew, or is it a version of the story? Well, I think it's a version of the story, but I think it's a very good version of the story. I think the team that have put it together have done a, a very, very impressive job because... It's the way that it's put together, the chronological way it's put together, and it's trying to illustrate and explain the life, the man, the career, the family, the religion, the national pride. I mean, one of the things that came across extremely strongly, and if you think about Brazil as a nation where it is today in an economic platform, it's a very powerful country economically right now. But certainly back starting in the early 80s, middle 80s, it was in a very difficult economic situation. And here was one of Brazil's sons taking on the world in Formula One and winning, and not just winning once, but winning world championship. And he gave that nation enormous pride. And I think that that really came through much more than I'd appreciated probably at the time. People talk of Senna's charisma. Did you experience that personally? Well, first of all, I think the growth of television in particular was a great contributor to Ayrton's fame, notoriety in Brazil, but on a global basis. Whereas back in the early 70s, the level of television availability was very much less than it was at the point when Ayrton started. You're saying he was TV-friendly? No, I'm not saying that at all. I'm saying that television was friendly to motor racing rather than to any particular individual. Uh So it happened to be that 
as television grew and the expanse and the level of coverage developed, then there was more available to the public on a global basis and, of course, for the public in Brazil. What was your relationship with him like? I was very lucky to have met him at a very early stage in his career. On one occasion, we were in Austria at, at a training camp, which was run by a great man called Willy Dungle. Ayrton had gone there to do some physical training. I'd gone there to do a physical checkup and some training. So we spent different parts of that period there together. We had gone on bikes and ride. And I remember one specific occasion where we were riding along in the, the countryside just outside Vienna, and he was talking about McLaren and about the team and my opinion of the team and what I think of Prowse. And it was pretty damn clear that Ayrton was looking to move into a team capable of providing him with not just the equipment but the financial backup to ensure that he had always the best equipment. And McLaren was that team. McLaren at that stage in the 80s was the most winning team in Formula One. And there was a great place for him to go and the time was right for him to go there. And in the course of that conversation, I said the one thing you have to be aware of is that McLaren is Alain Prost's team. Yeah. He has got the heart of the team. He's very close to Ron Dennis. He's even closer to Ron Dennis's business partner, Mansour Roger. And, you know, Alan's got a grip on that team. And any teammate who's been with Alan really over the last three or so years has never really had a good chance to be successful. So when you go into the team, you know, I think you've got to just take your time, feel your way, establish your own basis and foundation, and then see where you are. And he turned around and said, no, if I go there, I'm going to go there, and I'm going to dictate the terms. I'm going to up the game physically. I'm going to up the game mentally. I'm going to take Prost and I'm going to hang him out to dry in effect. I'm going to make that guy scream with pain because what his comfort zone is, is going to disappear. He changed Formula One. He elevated the psychological games, I think, that drivers play against each other. Two questions, John. What was it that made Senna such an extraordinarily gifted and competitive individual as a driver from a driver's point of view and did he change your approach to motor racing as well as other drivers would you say well first let me answer the second question first at the time i hadn't come into formula one my formal formula one career had ended yeah so i only did race against him on one occasion and on that occasion it was a brand hatch in 85 and senna was in a different world to the entire field that was unquestioned but I think what he explained he was going to do to Alan Prost and McLaren was what he did to everybody else. If you think about his 61, I think it is pole positions. That didn't happen by luck. That happened because he made that happen. It was a question of his incredible ability behind the wheel of a racing car. It was his incredible mental and physical commitment to being behind the wheel of a racing car. Is the legend the same as the man you knew? I would say so. I think that uh, the two seem to dovetail very comfortably. I mean, I think that there are a number of people in Formula One who are not necessarily fully signed up members of the Senna fan club. And a lot of those people maybe are on the journalistic side. A lot of them took sides in that battle between Prost and Senna and were very much of the Prost persuasion. There were others who were very much of the Senate persuasion. But I think that a lot of people that I know who actually understand a lot more about motor racing 
than maybe those that are just simply there observing it or commentating on it or writing about it. To actually understand what Senna was doing in a racing car, I think it takes somebody who's only ever been a racing driver or been that close to it that they can understand. Because he re-redlined, if you like, what was capable and what you could achieve. Sometimes it wasn't very pretty, and you've got to think back to those moments, particularly with Senna and Prost, where in uh, 89, Prost, in my opinion, deliberately drove into Senna. Yeah. And in Japan, in the following season, at the same race one year later, it appears that Senna did exactly the same to Prost. So it was a tit-for-tat. But there was also another element going on within the administration of Formula One and a particular president, Jean-Marie Ballest. Sadly, he's not here either to defend himself. And I think some of his actions were pretty disgusting, in my view, uh, in the manner in which he was, Senna A was treated in 89 by the president and therefore by other stewards. He did divide opinion because some people didn't like that ruthlessness. There was no limit to the risk that you're prepared to take and the intimidation of other drivers by saying, I will never back off. I will never, ever concede to you on the approach to a corner, in a corner, in an overtaking maneuver. That's a dangerous game to play. But if you keep it at the psychological level and you create the belief in other drivers that you will never do it, whether you will or not, but that you will never do it psychologically, well, then you've got an advantage over your competitors. And I never knew whether what Bayerton was saying and what he was indicating, he would have actually, when it came down to it, would have fulfilled. I don't know whether he would have actually put himself into such an immediate danger situation that he would have not backed off and he would have maybe then had an accident as a consequence. We never got to find that out, Gareth. So, John, he was clearly a magician, but was he someone who could harness forces from elsewhere or was he the kind of magician who was effectively deceiving you, sleight of hand, you know, it was the belief that they instilled in you? Which, which would you say it was? I think that I mean, 61 pole positions... I can't remember the number of Grand Prix wins, three world championships. Those aren't things that happened by somebody else's bad luck. He made these things happen, and that's what Ayrton did. He made them happen. He raised the bar, and that is why within the teams that he drove for, he was so loved, because he was taking something and beating a teammate or making that, that teammate raise his game even higher as well. John, finally, do you think we'll ever see the likes of Ayrton Senna again? Well, I think we have seen that to some degree with Michael Schumacher, because Michael, either consciously or unconsciously, did adopt some of those philosophies that Ayrton had. When you are that successful, you've got to be very, very single-minded. You've got to think primarily of yourself, be selfish, drag the team to your side of the pit garage and make sure that everything is coming to you first, that you are the person that the team look to to deliver on the part of the team. Now, we've got another young German driver who's also making a phenomenal name for himself, Sebastian Vettel. The difference is Sebastian Vettel comes across as being a thoroughly likable, charming, agreeable young man who doesn't appear to have any of the character traits that we've seen from Michael Schumacher in a race car or Ayrton Senna in a race car, which is very interesting. Remember that winning a world championship when you've got the best car is relatively easy. Winning a world championship in a car that is not necessarily the best car is a greater achievement. So you don't need necessarily to win championships 
and Grand Prix the way that Ayrton or Michael Schumacher did. That was the way that those individuals choose to go about their craft. John, I've seen your ruthless side, but I would always put you on the gentlemanly side of the racing circuit. And I thank you for being such a gentleman and talking to us on the programme. I really appreciate this, John. Thank you. Thank you, Gareth. Gareth Jones on speed. John Watson, who I'm proud to say is someone who knew... Ayrton Senna so do I have a John Watson number now it's like oh, a Kevin right. Bacon number like a Bacon number yeah. or a Bacon Airdosh number is the one you've got to have okay explain the Bacon Airdosh number okay can you yeah just about there's a mathematician called Airdosh yep. Thomas Airdosh or something Hungarian yeah yep. okay very good oh, well done and just as you have a Bacon number you know if you're an actor who's been in a film with another actor who was in a film with Kevin Bacon, then you've got a Bacon number of two, because you're two removed from Kevin Bacon. If you're a mathematician who's written a paper with a mathematician who's written a paper with another mathematician who's written a paper with Erdos, you've got a, an, an Erdos number, number that goes with that. And there are very few people who have, you know, a valid sort of non-infinite Erdos number. <laughs> I think well, one of the few is... Professor Brian Cox. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, okay, okay. He actually has a Bacon Airdosh number. Okay, in which case, he joins company with the actress Danica McKellar, the actress who played the cute little girl in The Wonder Years. Um, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, I don't know the character's name, but I know who you mean. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, the actress, I believe, is Danica McKellar. And after her stint as a child actress, yeah. she went and studied mathematics, did her master's, and she's written a couple of papers. And so she's got, yeah, Bacon Airdosh numbers. Well, Professor Brian Cox is a Bacon Airdosh number because a paper that he wrote appears in the movie Sunshine. So rather than Professor <laughs> Brian Cox... Well, he was, he was a consultant. He was, he was a consultant yeah. on the movie, wasn't so, he? So even though he didn't have a speaking part in the film, his paper has a Bacon Airdosh number. <laughs> and therefore, because I know Brian, I've got a Bacon Airdosh Watson Senna number now, I think. Hey. <laughs> and listen, we've and gone that, way off topic. Thanks back, to John for doing that chat. Fascinating stuff, actually. It was really it, interesting to hear what he said. Absolutely right. You know, he's in a position to think about these things for a very long time. Mm. I think John never says things in a big hurry, but he's very clear about what he's trying to say. This film, you said earlier on it reminded you of For All Mankind in that it was structured in a similar sort of way, the voices of the people who went there. My favourite yeah, film of all yeah, time, yeah. For All Mankind. Fantastic with the, film. With the possible exception of Sliding Flame. <laughs> Let's just cut the last five seconds. <laughs> uh, continue. But I think this film, the movie Senna, for me, reminds me of another film, one of my favourite films as well, and that is The Assassination um, of Jesse James by the coward, by the coward Robert. Robert Ford. Yeah. It's one of those films where you know how it ends. You know what's going to happen in the end. And the whole tension, that sort of the premise of the film, is that journey of how you get there, that incredible sense of foreboding. And there is no doubt this film has a terribly sad ending. You know, any death, a real death, is a terribly sad thing to endure. And the shots of the crash at Imola in 94, I don't think I've seen some of those shots before. There's one in particular where the Williams is sitting there and Senna, his head is slightly to one side, resting against the cockpit sides, and there's a slight twitch. That was unbelievably chilling. And the moment where his mother and father are at the funeral and Senna's helmet is on his coffin. You know, I was crying my eyes out at that point. And then again, someone I know, Johnny Herbert, turns up as one of the pallbearers. It brought it very home, very personal for me. Even though I wasn't a Senna fan, I felt mm. the pain of the other racing drivers. But it's 
Not exclusively a sad film. There are some wonderfully happy moments. No, I was going to say, one can make it sound as if it's a very sad movie. And, of course, the story has a tragic ending. It is a very moving film at several points. But that ending in no way overshadows the story. Yeah. You know, the story that it tells of Senna's life and his progress through F1 is such an inspiring, wonderful, exciting, fascinating story that the ending doesn't overshadow it. You mentioned the assassination of Jesse James. I think maybe something that perhaps is recalling that film in Senna is something to do with the pacing of it, the timing mm. of it, because I think it just has lovely pace. And I think uh, director Asif Kapadia, I think is how you pronounce his name, he's done a beautiful job with this. He's directed dramatic features as well as documentaries, I believe. He's done... The Swordsman was uh, a the, film? The Warrior. The Warrior, the Warrior was, um, was one of his. And he's just clearly a very skilled filmmaker, and this is a beautiful product, and it's one that I'm quite sure our listeners would greatly enjoy. No doubt. And... I think it's the kind of film that you can take a mate or a partner along with who isn't interested in Formula One. They'll still get it, too. It's a powerful film. OK, we've got to wrap this now, Zog, but I've got a favourite moment in the film. Have you got a favourite moment in the film you want uh, to leave us with? It's actually really hard to pick out a single moment. I thought winning in Brazil... Epic. the, with the, the Where way, they're way chanting way. Senna. It's fantastic. Yeah, and the crowd reaction, and it was such an exciting, moving scene for me. So that was certainly one of my favourites. Mm. But, you know, give there it a minute, I'll some more. Senna clattering over the curbs in Monaco with that Tolman to make yeah. it go quick. Fantastic. And the Monaco in-car footage yeah. in the McLaren, which we've seen before, but crikey, seeing it on a big screen, wow. Yeah, superb. However, my absolute number one favourite bit in the film has got very little to do with motor racing, in some respects, because there's one scene where Senna is appearing on what looks like a Brazilian, either children or family Christmas show. Yeah, the Christmas outfit, yeah. yes. Yep. The Christmas outfit, yeah. He's standing next to this leggy, tall, beautiful Brazilian icon, I think she is, called Zozo, XOXO, I think that's how it's Zozo, Z- you say yes, that. Yeah. Or Zuzu, I don't know. And she is just beautiful, and she's clearly tickled pink, quite literally, by standing next to Ayrton. And she's got sort of a sexy girl Santa outfit on. She's, which is, she's clearly very taken with her. There, there is more than a frisson in the atmosphere, in that you can see in their relationship, and she says to him in Portuguese, and it's got subtitles. They were a couple at the time, weren't they? they not were. at that point. I think this not? is no, before no, they, they came together. I may be wrong, but I mean, he did date her later on. Look at that body language. I think they're. A yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> True. Yeah, postcoital body language. Good point. But she asks him, you know, what is it you want to say? And he says, I can't say it out loud. He says, Go on, whisper. He's in front of a huge yeah. audience. Yeah, and he whispers something into her ear. We can only imagine. What it was, he said, but whatever it was, boy, it's a lovely reaction and a delicious romantic moment in a romantic and tragic story. Superb. That's it for Gareth Jones on Speed. For the moment, you've been listening to Zog and me, Gareth Jones. We thought we'd cram this as an extra bonus show in for you because our coverage of Le Mans starts in the very next episode of Gareth Jones on Speed. But what we'll do is leave you with another taste of the movie, which goes on general release from June the 3rd. This is Senna. Goodbye. Ayrton Senna is out of his car and out of this race. Ayrton Senna goes out of the lead of the Monaco Golf. Absolutely incredible. He never wanted to beat me. He wanted to humiliate me. He wanted to, to show the people that he was much stronger, much better. And that was his weakness. I just came to so close to 
perfection that we can, that I, 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 I relax and I open windows for mistakes. And I learned that there. And um, since then, I progressively come back because I lost some confidence at that moment. And I progressively, I, fought, I fight back. And I got much stronger after that, that instant. Somehow I got closer to, to God, and that has been very important for me as a man. To send us an email, see pictures, get song lyrics, join our Facebook fan site or follow us on Twitter, go to garethjones.tv. Gareth Jones on Speed is made in London by Whizbang. Gareth Jones on Speed! Ed has a small problem. He thinks that he can't, he can't kill himself because he believes in God and things like this. And I think that's very dangerous for the other drivers.